And the next is like, okay, you're going to have three children. <laughs> okay, that's that's too far. 3.5 children. Uh, you're going to have a picket fence, a scratching post out in the back because, you know, they need to scratch on things. And just be like a Lego City set or something. Right. A man has fallen into a river in Lego City. Yeah, he, well, he's, he's going to, Moreau's going to be like, you know, I'll, I'll get you guys a wedding present, a giant ball of yarn. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Cinematic fantastic. Atu, Barada, Nikto. I'll show you who I am and what I am. Buy a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself. Open the pod bay doors, though. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Weatherford. And your other host, William Weatherford. Get ready for opinions, dad jokes, and bad jokes. As we watch and review sci-fi and fantasy films from the classics of yesteryear to the new favorites of today. Welcome to the island, dear listeners. Uh, We're back with the uh, Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. This is episode 12. And we've been doing... Moro episodes. Oh, wow. Here we go. Ever since we started. Yes. Always come back for Moro. Uh, that, that, dude, that's one you should have used. That one was good. So what William is referring to is the movie that we saw recently was Island of Lost Souls. It was, it's a 1932 film from Paramount. And we're doing that one today. Oh yeah. Produced yes. by Paramount. Like something you never realize is that. The all these big competitors like Paramount, you know, the 20th Century Fox or Fox as it was known then. Yeah, I think they changed their name. And uh, Universal, which we all still see existing today, are actually a century old. You never realize that. That's amazing. Yeah, and and the, the big heavy hitters of the time would have been, uh, you know, R- R- RKO eventually folded. RKO eventually folded, but it was RKO, uh, Paramount, Universal. 20th Century Fox, MGM, or Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Um, I can't think of some others at the time. Possibly Republic Pictures, maybe some of the other ones. The, a lot of those got folded into other companies. But uh, let's give a quick, uh, quick little uh, thumbnail sketch. A little, a little synopsis of the movie. Okay, let's do a synopsis. So the story is about a guy. His name is Edward Parker, who, after being shipwrecked, then thrown overboard later by the captain of the ship who rescued him he then meets a unknown to him mad scientist who interferes and intervenes with animal evolution by evolving them into humans when parker is forced onto the island he falls in love with a panther woman named loda as well and upon seeing morrow's treachery flees to the jungle to then discover a strange colony of beast men after morrow gives his backstory from well returning back to the cabin. Right. He then sabotages the boats so that Parker cannot escape the island until Ruth and Captain Donahue come to their rescue. Sorry, Donahue. Rescue them. And after attempted strangling by the Beastmen, the Beastmen then, after this attempted strangling, they defy him, and they even kill him with his own knives as Parker and the gang Leave the boats as fire overtakes the island. I will. I'm going to give my little, quick little idea of the movie. I I thought it was very creepy. 
Um, I thought it was very atmospheric. I think it was very influential. It's got some subtext in there that I think we can unpack as we go that's more than just what you see on screen. There's some things that are suggested by uh, by the movie that are very interesting, and I think you'll be... You, you, you may see these things, William. You might not. You may agree with me. You might not. But yeah, it, I thought it was really good. Can you give your, your thoughts just straight off the top? My thoughts are it is indeed very scary, and it indeed does have a lot of... It, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good movie, but it still does kind of have those tropes that we've seen in, like, every single movie we've covered. Yeah. Very much. So the reason why that it uses some of those tropes and it treads some of that uh, that familiar uh, material is because it was Paramount's answer to the Universal monster movies, the RKO stuff as well, is because they... They wanted to, it's all that was popular, and they wanted to dip their toe into that kind of uh, atmospheric kind of uh, kind of horror pictures. But of course, m- most movies ha- have evolved from this concept. Ha ha. Ha, <laughs> you see what I did there? I did see what you did there. But uh, there's, a lot of movies did have these tropes, you know, you have the hero, you have the girl that the hero gets, you have the villain, and you have the... Added the horror villain is what we've been doing a lot because we're doing horse. It's those horror villains always going to have those. And uh, those are the main things that you get a lot. You got the guy, the girl, and the villain. And those have stayed for eternity until we're probably... uh, Movies got a lot more complex as they've gone. Yes, but here's the thing. If you don't like cliches and tropes... Even cliches and tropes done really well, then you might not have a lot of fun with movies of this type and and going forward because a lot of cliche and tropes are going to go throughout. You're going to recognize a lot of those things going forward. So, but it's like the movie uh, is way different from the book. It converts the book into that classic format cliches kind of thing. And we'll talk about that in the plot, but there's a lot of differences from the book that may or may not be enjoyable. There are there are some characters that were invented definitely for the movie, and 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 of course the ones that were invented for this movie, they they liked them so much. I guess they did them again, and you'll see what we're talking about uh, very soon. Of course, I refer to Loda the Panther Woman, which we will uh, we'll go over when we talk about the cast. So. I, I will tell you that the reason some of these movies seem cliche is because not that they invented them, but they are in the they're in the very early stages of movie making and especially of 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 genre film like speculative or sci-fi fiction. And we're gonna be in this horror era for a while before we get to that uh, kind of nineteen fifties sixties kind of pulpy sci-fi like flick era. Yeah, you'll you'll start to see some of those movies creep in. I mean, there's elements of of science fiction even in uh, even in what we would call you know, the cr- the cringy ones. There's a lot of those cringy ones that are just pulp science fiction that we're gonna get to see later. But 
These are the greats, after all. I yeah, I I do th- I, I think so. Yeah, and and definitely this movie is very influential. I mean, like uh, it is very influential. But uh, quickly name a Paramount movie that you thought was pretty good, just to give an idea of Paramount of the time. Not of the time, just any movie that you thought was really great by them. Well, okay, okay, Paramount. When I think of Paramount, a lot of times. I think of the Indiana Jones movies because they always take the Paramount Pictures emblem of like the mountain with the stars around it or whatever, just the mountain. And what they do is they they turn the mountain into like a mound or 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 a, or a cliff or something. And that always reminded me that that oh yeah, Paramount did the Indiana Jones movies. Also, Paramount uh, did the Transformers live-action movies. They also had something to do, I think, with a little movie called Sonic, which we were going to do, right? Didn't they? Um, I don't know if we're going to do that one because it's not particularly any genre. It's just video game. But That is going to be a, a special month. I am thinking that there's nothing more science fiction-y than pixels moving around on a screen and so i mean that's that's an amazing invention even still tvs are pixels moving around on a screen so yeah okay you're okay not necessarily moving but f- flashing rgbs around leds so if you like video games and you i know that a lot of americans and humans a lot everywhere uh whatever love video games we're gonna do uh, some video game movies uh based on video game properties Probably did a couple seasons or so. So to sum that up, Paramount is basically the... If Universal is Windows and (laughs) Fox is... I don't know. Would Paramount be either Apple or like... Oh, no. All the rest are like Linux distributions. You can't... You can't... You can't do that. Because because that, that... that takes an entire production company and sums them up and, dis- and puts them in some kind of box. And It'll I don't pull, put you out of a Steve Jobs. Yeah, put you out of the Steve Jobs. I don't think you can really put them in a box and say, oh, 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 well, let me explain who Paramount Pictures is in one sentence. And I don't think I can do that. The best that I can do is write them on a case by case basis for their movies. Yeah, so let's yeah. jump into it. Yeah, so let's jump into it. Yeah, so this movie was directed by uh, Earl C. Kenton. I'm, I'm, I'm didn't look too far into who he was. I didn't recognize his name at all, but I did recognize the script writers. Uh, it was written by uh, Waldemar Young and Philip Wiley. And you might not know who Philip Wiley is, but he wrote a book in the 30s called Gladiator, and it's not the same as the movie. That gets made later about actual gladiators. This movie, okay, is about a character who is gifted with amazing superpowers. He has super strength. I think he's able to leap. I don't remember if he could leap or not. He's almost nigh invulnerable. Like Hulk's progenitor? No, I would say it's that he is. I more... mean, he's super strong. He can leap. Like, why not say he's green as well? No, the... and in his undies. That is a that is a transformational thing. I think that the Hulk was very much so uh, Doctor J- Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, uh, if you think about it. But but the one that it really inspired would be uh, Super Superman. Uh, Superman came out in nineteen the nineteen thirty nine forties, and that's that's what uh, Gladiator by, by Philip Wiley really inspired. But uh, that's what that's how I recognize that writer's name. So the thing that this movie is probably the most famous for or, or well known for, if anybody would be able to sum it up, 
is the fact that it got banned so many times. This movie was, of course, yet yeah, like like we said before, it was it's pre Hayes Code, but there is a Hayes office. They're called the Hayes office, and they're basically a bunch of pencil pushing guys, you know, and gals who are sit there and watch the movies and go, well, I don't like this, and well, I don't like that. Oh, that's okay. Well, I don't like it. And the MPAA would also do that because that's the MPAA is the Hayes Code, but. They they have a company. Name. They're so much bigger. They're so much bigger than the Hayes Code. They're so much more influential. Just watching all the movies to figure out their ratings that ever come out. You have to submit it to them. Goodness. Well, it's not just that because sometimes a movie can, you know, can get a PG thirteen rating, and you know maybe some people who are looking for something with that's more edgy won't go to that. Uh, or if the, if you if you make it a R rated movie. Um, it, you lose out on an audience of like 13, 14 year olds who really want to see it. So, you know, the, the rating can make or break a movie sometimes. You know, they can, they can take a movie that was a little more edgy and a little bit more, I guess, if the property or the movie was meant to be gory. Uh, and, they, and a lot of the gore they tone down or they turn away. Specifically, there's a movie called Morbid. Uh, it's, it's been hailed as terrible, but there's a movie called Morbius, and he's a vampire. And he's got these claws, and he's slashing at people's necks, and they're grabbing their necks, and there's no blood. And so it's just like, what's co- what's co- happening here? So they kept it to like a PG rating? PG-13. I don't think that's why the movie tanked. There's so many other reasons why the movie PG-13, tanked. you could do some wounds. Yeah, but it's... I mean, an example to do that would spoil Endgame, but... Yeah, I, 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 kind of, I kind of agree, but... There's characters that get wounded in that one that can be shown in a PG-13 setting. Wounded, wounded is different than, than you know, blood shooting out of a wound, you know, in, in, in great rivulets. But again... But you can still have wounds appear though yes okay so back to the reasons why this movie was banned uh very shortly coming out it's got uh, certain elements in it of of something called vivisection they mentioned vivisection which means you know cutting something apart doing lot it's kind of like live surgery but it's like why why is this banned i do this to my uh frogs in public school every day that's well, dissect that's dissection that's not vivisection that's dissection vivisection right. is humans well not necessarily not necessarily humans it's any kind of animal but then why are frogs dissected and other things vivisected then well vivisection is is cutting on something while it's alive and awake for certain purposes and that that does that sounds quite scary to me the there are certain rules in britain cruelty to it's an there's an anti-cruelty animals bill i think or, or or law that came out before this movie came out and that's one reason why the movie was rated so uh you know so restrictedly and they gave they gave it an x rating even and i yes, i it, can still watch it i can't watch x rated stuff no, no you i can't. wouldn't be able to so why? Well, when they re-released it uh, on on DVD or video, I think in in, in twenty eleven, I'd give it a PG. That's what the British people did. So there's other there's other elements that they thought were just kind of just dis- dis- distasteful, like you know that that man had some kind of control over evolution and was doing things with it to people uh, or to animals, I should say. There's a part in the movie where uh, Doctor Moreau, played by Charles Lawton. He says, uh, have you ever thought about what it means to be God or what it's like to be God? Something to that effect. Mr. Bucker, 
Do you know what it means to feel like God? I'm talking too much. That sounds very similar to what Colin Clive, as Dr. Frankenstein, said in Frankenstein a couple years earlier. And that line got people all riled up and and wanting to to cut that line out and ban it, too. For both movies. Yeah. If anybody wanted their movie banned back in the 30s, I guess they could have a character go, I wonder... I feel like I feel like God right now, or you know, and they're like, uh, okay, yeah. It and it got it got people in the Bible Belt kind of uh, upset. It got people north and south, everywhere in America, you know, got upset. Except some of the higher kind of high-minded critics, I guess, with the New York Times, they actually thought it was that it was well done, and I think that people gave it a bad rap at the time. They they didn't give it a fair shake. They did. It really didn't. You know. Um, I don't. I saw the movie even after learning uh, that it was banned for certain reasons, and I, to be honest, I don't see what the issue is. They were even saying that the there's a scene where uh, I think Ruth is her name, where she's taking off her uh, her stockings. Now you and I may be like, um, okay, she's taking off her stockings, no big deal. But back then, that was like, oh, scandalous, and it's taking too long. She's she, you know the camera is just lingering on her too much. That actually contributed to to some of those issues too, with the and Hays the poster Code. as well. Do you want to talk about the poster? Oh, here we go. All right. So, you know, we've all heard that there's a certain thing that can sell a movie. You and I both know what it is, and it's it's a beautiful woman. It's the allureness of woman. The allure and femininity of woman. And they marketed this movie all around a scene that doesn't even exist. Doesn't exist. Just for luring people in. Kind of like those pull pin ads that you see everywhere of, you know, you pull the pin, either get the treasure, the water, or the lava, or do you, you try and puzzle. Oh, those things on, on you know, like on YouTube. But it's all like fake. Yeah. The, game, the games aren't really like that. They're just got interesting stuff that they know that people want to see. Well, and stuff. yeah, it's, and they it's, also it's, do it's, it's kind of have the alertness of woman kind of stuff that's really 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 weird yeah so honestly i wouldn't leave your children alone with the youtube so unless they don't skip the ads and they're like hey dad why is this game weird where i just i can't even describe it i i I can't describe it without bleeping it out or something yeah just let yeah let that go it's horrifying yeah so the thing is about that is you know they're trying to to pull people in, and many times they would have scenes that weren't even in the movie to uh, uh, you know to make it maybe maybe they made a character look more monstrous, or or you know had a you know had a scene that wasn't even the film, and they kind of ma- they made it seem like Loda the Panther Woman uh, was the focus of the movie, and she's just a side character. I mean she does a fine job. The actress does an okay job for her first you know real big role. We'll talk about that soon, but you know that she they they put her on on the poster. It's it and they even before they were even ready to start filming, they had already thought, "Hey, we'll market this Panther Woman thing. That'll get that'll get the the rears in the seats." And and it's that's not the best part of this story. The best part of the story is is the philosophy behind it, and you know, and 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 all that. It has nothing to do with you know the, the allure of that character. So if you're worried about that for anybody. 
don't. But another thing you might say about this movie is, oh, well, there's scenes that don't appear in the movie. Well, look at Avengers Endgame with that trailer where it has uh, the whole thing like going, oh, each other with Hulk in it. But that doesn't appear in the movie. In Infinity War. Yeah, Infinity War, yeah. he's That was a way they were kind of trying to to change uh, certain elements of that to not give away. Or that the movie was so early they could have changed it after the fact. It's possible. But there are a lot of those trailer shots that do prominently happen in many sorts of movies. But that is different from advertising your movie based off of, hehe, that's that woman looks pretty 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 alluring i'm gonna go watch this movie to uh <laughs> um um what's the movie called uh tarzan and his mate uh pretty oh, cool yeah. i'll go watch that one <laughs> well um we've gone on a big tangent so let's return to yeah, yeah, so... the island return to our animal forms yes so um somebody else who didn't like the movie who you would hope would like the movie was H.G. Wells. Um, and he's the he's the guy that wrote the original book, but he didn't like it the adaptation because it was too much of horror like themes and cliches and stuff. Yeah, it was too overt horror. He it, he said it overshadowed the story's uh, deeper philosophical import, which is why I would still read the book anyway because it's a good read. I haven't because I hadn't had enough time, but I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing is that there, of course, were. Um, this movie was very influential on different on for, for some things you probably wouldn't even expect. There were other two other movies based on this. Uh, there was the 1977 uh, Island of Doctor Moreau, and uh, that had Burt Lancaster as the Doctor, and that one's not bad. Have you ever heard of the Tubi? T U B I. It's actually streaming on there if you're curious. There, the second one is in 1996, and oh boy, is it is it. Uh, is it something else? Uh, it's got Marlon Brando as Dr. Barreau. If you do want to cover that one, then it is probably extremely bad movie and an extremely crazy production history of which... Uh, some of the truth of something is more interesting than even the fiction of the movie because, you know, and, and actually there's a documentary about it, but I'm what I'm telling you is... I I have to say that um, the one that's more that has the better makeup, I'd say would would be um, the '77 and the 1996. The makeup and effects um, in in the 1932 version are are well done, and they're actually but they're more subtle and creepy in the way that they look. You know, there's a, there's definitely an inhuman way that these people look but it, these these beast people because they're actually you know if you don't know they're animals that dr moreau has as uh, surgically altered uh in the book it says straight up vivisection but they kind of in the later things they kind of make it seem like there's a little bit more of a genetic and biological you know pseudoscientific uh component but they they look very in, suitably inhuman and very strange looking so it it does it do, it is unsettling is the word I would use. But it is a bigger step in the human direction than the animal direction, obviously. Yes, the makeup that they use in the nineteen seventy seven version is a little more overt. I mean, you know, uh, there's a guy who's like a lion man, and I'm telling you, he looks kind of like a lionish kind of man. 
Uh, there's like a, a swine person. Uh, there's a but it's easy to do because it's just like have a dude put makeup on him. You don't have to have it do a CGI of an animal that looks kind of like a human, which would be both horrifying and horrifying to animate. So I mean, right? All right. So another another way this movie was in- influential was on uh, was in the music scene. There's a band. Uh, I know anybody that's a, that's that that was around during the eighties or listened to music from the eighties know who uh, Devo is. Uh, you know, they have that famous song whip it, uh, which is interesting because there's a lot of whipping in this movie and we'll get into it later. And also do not confuse with the movie that came out recently named Vivo as well with a monkey that was street. And, Sony. And so Devo did a song called Jocko Homo. It's off of the uh, album. Uh, Are we not men? We are Devo which is kind of an interesting echo of a quote from this movie. And in Jocko Homo, there's a part where they say, are we not men? We are Devo. And it's kind of like, and they say, and they, they say, what is the law? That's, of course, a quote from the movie. Another, ba- another band is Oingo Boingo. I know, great name, and they have a song called "No Spill Blood," and there's like a there's like a part of the song that says, uh, "What is the law? No spill blood." Two legs, but they were in for a big surprise. They didn't know the law. It's the law. That's off their 1983 album, Good for Your Soul. Also, the Meteor- Meteors, a psychobilly band from the UK, on their album Teenagers from Outer Space, they have a song that says, call it Island of Lost Souls, that says, We don't eat meat, are we not men? We stand on two feet, are we not men? What they've done, we don't eat meat, are we not men? We stand on two feet, are we not men? Though the actual thing in the book goes not to go on all fours, this is the law, we not men. Not to suck up drink, this is the law, we not men. Not right. to eat fish or flesh, are we not men? Fish are friends, not food. Not to claw the bark of trees, that is the law, we are not, are we not men? Yes. And not to chase other men, that is the law, are we not men? But you're like. You don't get to eat fish. I, I know. I I know what that means. Uh, Personally, I love fish. Fish is delicious. Me but too. Not being able to eat fish is. I mean, flesh is different from fish. Fish is fine, but flesh is not. I would allow your animals to eat fish. Fish is a good delicacy. Right, especially if they're on an island, and so seafood has got to be something that, that would really be a good thing to eat. Okay, so. The the thing about not sucking up water, uh, is, and I don't think they really mentioned that in this version, is when an animal goes and drinks from a river, they just get their whole face in there in the water and, and, and slurp it up. Instead of, here's a cup, let's get some water and drink it like a human. He's, Dr. Moreau is trying to, uh, quote, uplift these animals into being humans uh, or humanoid. And he's trying to get them to be in habits that are not, you know, eating another living thing 
that are not, you know, claw, you know, doing things that animals do. It's kind of like a reverse, uh, you know, Wildcrats. He's, <laughs> they're trying to get people away from acting like animals <laughs> and acting like humans. So, okay, as far as the cast of the movie, uh, probably the most prominent person that I can think of in this movie is, is Charles Lawton. And I've seen quite a few mo- movies with Charles Lawton in it. And, and, and almost every time that I got up to watch this movie, I, you know, and, and I had looked it up a long time ago in one of those, uh, those old horror books that talks about old movies. And I was like, oh, Charles Lawton. And then I saw some stuff with him in it, and I completely forgot he was in Island of Lost Souls. And then here it comes, and, and we were about ready to watch it. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Is that Charles Lawton? Yeah, it's great. So he is, he is, a, uh, he is a famous uh, British uh, actor. Um, of course, and his background specifically is in the Yorkshire area. In fact, he kind of, there's a couple of roles that he does that he, where he kind of, uh, brings back that Yorkshire accent. And it's a very, very specific accent. I, I, if you want to know what it sounds like, check it out on YouTube. You can probably find what the Yorkshire accent sounds like. So a lot of his early stuff, he was in some silent films. Yes, but it was mostly the stage, uh, in England is where he got kind of famous, uh, he did a lot of uh, Shakespeare at the Old Vic, which is the Old Vic is a famous place in in England that or London specifically where people actually did uh, did Shakespeare plays and things like that. That was famous for that. It actually is very it's very set up in very an old style, uh, very similar to the way that Shakespeare um, had it set up. Um, I think a lot of uh, theaters, especially in Stratford upon Avon, which is where Shakespeare is from, they they craft their theaters in very much the same way. The Globe Theater is another one that does uh, the setup very similarly. Um, I might be wrong with regard to the old Vic. Don't don't quote me on that. All right, so um, he did uh, do, some, do some work on Broadway. And of course, many, many actors that are in a lot of these movies went from uh, stage acting to perhaps Broadway, and then they did get discovered, and they move or move, then they get pulled into Hollywood. So some of his most famous roles is as uh, King Henry VIII in The Private Life of, of Henry VIII. He won an Academy Award for Best Actor in that. He was also in a movie called The Barretts of Wimpole Street, Mutiny on the Bounty, which is a famous kind of story movie. Uh, he played Captain Bly. Uh, and actually Clark Gable was in that movie as, as Fletcher Christian, which is the name of another character. So it's that, movie, that, movie, that movie and that story has been remade quite a few times. Um, he was also he was also played uh, in the Hunchback of Notre Dame, not the one with uh, Lon Chaney Jr., but he did play Quasimodo. It was a sound version later done, and I've seen that one too. Um, I think they're both excellent actors as Quasimodo, him and Lon Chaney. Did I say Junior? Did I say Junior earlier, or, or just regular Lon Chaney? If I say Lon Chaney Junior when I'm referring to Lon Chaney, or vice versa, I apologize. I think we know who who is who. I thought this dude. This I thought dude. this dude. <laughs> go go ahead. It's okay. I, it's okay. I, think... I thought the doctor. No, that's stupid too. <laughs> I'm the doctor. Yeah. Um, I thought that Mr. Moreau was. He was a very calm kind of more business kind of dude and you know in his character he's he's not concerned with anything and uh he doesn't even feel pain as he in the book describes is that pain the pain that he inflicts 
upon his subjects is he sees it as insignificant and an unavoidable side effect in the name of science. And he literally causes himself pain to prove his point, which we will uh, discuss in the plot. But while he's just unconcerned with everything i like uh, th- he also he kind of sees everything as an experiment if you notice it's like he doesn't just put loda the panther woman and edward parker the main character he doesn't just put them together to just hey this is my friend here or, or, or would you like guys like to talk no he's trying to pair them up to to perhaps use uh you know her attraction for edward to make her less animalistic to maybe feel more human and to repopulate the world not repopulate but to populate the world with more animal humans and that would have been a success he is twisted man he's a twisted man and this calmness that he has on him that pain is insignificant and being in the name of science and all that that is what makes his character horrifying is just just unconcerned with what I, with pain and what he's doing. There's an aspect to this movie that I didn't quite see until somebody pointed it out. And now that somebody pointed it out to me, I can't unsee it. If you notice this, a lot of the characters who try to display for themselves a, quote, purity uh, tend to wear white clothing. And he wears a lot of white clothing. Uh, and anybody who is lesser and lower wears kind of dirty mottled or brown or grays kind of character ah. uh, kind of and 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 if you notice that the quote beast people or animal people they always have it just a strange looking slightly different looking face um almost like they don't look like the european ideal and if you think about it he's dealing with an island full of of people that he doesn't treat like people he treats them as less than human and he's trying to pull them up to his way of life. And I've heard this called, this is like a callback to like colonialism. Meaning that like, you know, you have the white European who says, well, I'm better. And, and you know, I saw shades of this and I went, wow, it's like we're back in Tarzan the Ape Man again. But this guy does hold a lot of Darwinian views that people he does, yes. hold like... Around this time, like, uh, when Darwin made his work The Origin of a Species, like, 30 years after that is when Island of Dr. Moreau was released. And over this time, people were in such a craze because they're like, I didn't consider all this stuff, and Darwin is enlightened by life. So so this was kind of floating around, which H.G. Wells was a, um, around, and he... He made this book a lot like with the thoughts of evolution, and that's a prominent feature in this movie. Uh, he also talks about this in the Time Machine, is that he uses uh, current human proclivities uh, to kind of predict where we're going in tens of thousands of years. He has the uh, the human race kind of eventually split off and become the Morlocks. They're the ones who actually run the machines, and they're underneath, right? They're knowledgeable, and they run the machines, but they're underneath, and they're underclass, 
and they are you know hideous and 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 they they are out of the light and then you have the Eloi which are the weaker more uh, I guess I might say more more feminine kind of in many ways and they don't understand any of the technologies that they see they're very, they don't understand anything and this but in kind the of does have parallels to modern life because there is or at least was a kind of working class situation and then there were all the rich people who didn't work they just sat around because they had so much money and did all this stuff it's fairly interesting yeah when we when we get to the time machine, we'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. But I, but what I'm what I'm saying I say that I just mentioned that to to say that we're going to see some of the some of H.G. Wells's ideas uh, that he's he's kind of working them out and taking them to their logical conclusion, and then kind of you know he was he was ultimately what science fiction was all about, which is he's about the bigger ideas, and I think what that's why he didn't like this movie is because he saw where it was going. And if he had only known where science fiction was going, he'd probably roll over in his grave. Because it, what ended up happening is instead of trying to tell those deeper stories, you know, like Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, Star Trek uh, would later do, um, and even and even 2001: A Space Odyssey uh, and movies like that. Yeah, uh, he well, the the thing is telling the deeper things. But using science fiction as a way of, t- you know, of- expressing philosophy. Yes. But later on, you get into the 40s and 50s and maybe even the 60s. And it's just just it's a lot of aliens, spacecraft and pew pew. You know, and when I say pew pew, I mean, like like laser beams for the sake of laser beams. You know, it's just it's just it becomes cartoonish and and in a way and almost comic. Uh, and without without any of the depth that you can give something like that. Science fiction truly is a breeding ground for intense philosophy. It's just amazing the works that you can do with it. The best science fiction out there does that. But at the same time, I have to play devil's advocate and also stick up for movies uh, and TV shows that like to have a little bit of fun with the property. I don't think you have to always be deep in thought for it to be real science fiction. And indeed, this philosophy, all the philosophies, is as nebulous as the galaxy, or even a nebula, huh? It's very nebulous. It's very hard to touch on just... There's a lot of people who can go into it and talk about it in depth to where we couldn't really. So make sure to go check those out to where... I mean, after all... That that's what we're here for. So uh, another thing that this movie also does kind of cover that we will see a lot. I had this idea in Tarzan of the Apes is that intelligence is related directly to evil and sin, to where like the more intelligence that is given to something, then the more the more capability for evil is possible. Because, I mean, you know, animals, while they are intelligent, it is disputable, but they don't sin. That's That statement is disputable and might change, but humans are definitely more intelligent than animals, and do. but they do have the more capability to sin than animals do. Well, if, if you think about it, the the animal world, and this is interesting because uh, Dr. Moreau wants these animals to to give up some of the more animalistic things that they do so to speak the more instinctual things that they do to do what what humans do and he kind of says that's the higher you know he's acting like to be human is the highest form 
um, of, of civilization or or and all that. And the thing the is, the peak of the yeah, peak the, the of peak. macro evolution, right? And the and the and the animals are just doing what they do. If a human um, attacks another human and starts eating him in the middle of Walmart, I mean that's a horror. But if an animal you know, is out in the out of the Serengeti in Africa and attacks another animal. It's he's this just it's just the way of nature. It's excusable. And yes, but it is very disputable whether animals do like sin. I don't think they they do, but they don't really. Is like eating an animal due to instinct well, sin necessarily. There isn't sin, and there and sin comes from law, right? When you break the law. And that's the thing about this, is the animals... Don't really have a law. They don't have a law. So no, animals do not sin, but humans do because they have the capability of evil through intelligence. Yes, but the thing the thing is, is that... And the thing that we'll find out about Dr. Moreau is if he is... God, this is interesting, too, if you want to think about this. If he is God, he is a self-created false God. That he is a, If he is a God that makes laws... And the the creatures of his own making can break those laws, um, and he and he punishes them for it. What happens when God breaks his own laws? And that is something that we'll get into. We talk about this movie is if you break a law multiple times so much that even the lawbreakers break it, do the laws even exist? That's if a tree falls and you don't see it, does it make a sound? Well, that's what happens at the end of that's what happens at the end of this movie. But we will talk about that later. So um. Next people in the cast. Yeah, the next people in the cast. There's a couple things to mention, but uh, I don't know. I haven't seen any other movies with some of these actors in it. Of course, uh, the only one that I remember other than Charles Lawton is Bella Lugosi. And Bella Lugosi... We've already covered him? Yeah, we, we have. But he did this movie for 800 bucks, And he was... Because he, he was in bankruptcy. I guess he was dealing with the fact that he couldn't get a lot of parts... But uh, he was an Dracula. afterthought for this movie yeah. that they just pulled him in at the last minute. He didn't even need to be there. They could have recast him. And you can only, you know, really, I know he's got really recognizable voice and eyes and nose, but that's all you But really he's see not recognizable him. in this movie, though, unless you get some close-ups. Yeah, he, you do get one close-up of it. But, yeah, it's, he is not used very well in this movie. I mean, his face is just, the makeup on it is just entirely head of hair, that it's just like, he should go eat some quadra, try to chitter, quadra kale. Yeah, are you saying that he rolled around in glue and kissed a triple? Yes. Alright, that, yeah. Or if you're an Odd Squad fan, like, if any of your kids are Odd Squad fans, you watch it with them, then you'll know there's a creature there called a centigurp that is kind of similar to this. Or there are toys as well that are kind of okay, like it as so well. Okay, so you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Bella Lugosi is playing the centigurp of the law. All right, so, yeah. So, yeah, he plays a character called Sayer of the Law, and uh, he, he he kind of repeats the the law of Dr. Moreau back to the other Beastmen, and they repeat it back to him. So, if anything, you know, he created the whole chant kind of thing, and that's what influenced a lot of those bands to do what they did. So I guess he did okay. Um, but, but you know, they were just they were just trying to use his name recognition amongst horror fans to pull them in. I'll bet you that's what because they said because when they because on the poster they say Bella quote Dracula end quote Lugosi. So they're trying to they're trying to name drop him. That's all that was. And they've done this for quite a while. So Richard Arlen plays Edward Parker. 
I can tell you that he's been in some other things. Like uh, there was an Academy Award winning movie uh, called Wings. That is where he met his second wife uh, on doing that movie. Otherwise known as the Red Bull movie. Oh, because he gives you wings. Wow. <laughs> and he also, he, he did 14 uh, action comedy movies with a, another uh, actor named uh, Andy Devine. And that, that started out in uh, 1939. But that's, that's kind of what he got really well known for. But in this movie, he plays ve- a very, uh, very, you know, the kind of, I would call him the generic kind of. So he's in kind of the. Jonathan Harker. The Divine in 39 kind of character. That's cool. You need to call him Divine in 39. Right. That rhymes. It's it does. Good. Layla Hyams plays Ruth Thomas. And she's, of course, and she, you, you didn't know whether she was blonde or not, but I'm looking at a lot of photos of her and, and she's blonde. It's very hard to tell because blonde isn't really a light as so much as a yellow. Right, exactly. Um, of course, the more interesting uh, thing about this is, the, you know, whenever something's interesting, it piques my interest, you know, kind of that there's a story behind it. That's what I usually remember. So if we see any other movies with uh, with Layla Hyams or Richard Arlen or Stanley Fields or Paul Hurst, let me know. But okay, Kathleen Burke plays Low to the Panther Woman, which is a part that they created even before the movie started. And another thing is that they don't even mention that she is a panther woman. That's she true. Just, she wears lion skin, really thin clothing. But otherwise, she wears a, a mini a mini skirt and a bikini top, and it's about twenty. It was twenty five dollars to make it, probably. But she's not even a panther woman. They call her the panther woman, but she doesn't even look like a panther. She doesn't really do anything panther. She's got she's claws. Just, she's, she's just Loda. She does have claws though. But she's got claws, still. and she jumps on another character's back and and bites him. But in the book, we do. I'll mention the short lead. Um, have a puma, uh, woman that is a prominent part of the story that appears at the end and causes the demise of Dr. Moreau as we'll see in the plot. I'll talk about in the plot, but Right, but but there's she is not Loda or that kind of character is not prominent in Yeah, Loda 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 is not in the book. No, but a character like her ends up in all the other adaptations because I guess they just like that element of They like the girl interest character. Yeah, as I've said cliches well embrace them is what i say uh at least for a while uh edward parker that kind of character they pair up the quote cat or panther woman or whatever in each of the other movies with him i guess because they like that that he's kind of falling for her but then finds out she's an animal and then is horrified that 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 is happens in each one of the adaptations so anyway they they did a con a contest to find the right girl. So if you think about it, were they just looking at, do they look exotic? Do they look cute? Uh, and uh, Kathleen Burke won. She was a dental assistant, if you can believe that. And they chose her out of 60,000 other people. Kind of like a Miss Universe situation. A Miss, U- Miss Panther Universe. So she never, though, the thing is, though, you know about typecasting, right? We talk about typecasting. She yeah. Did, she didn't even get typecasted. After this, she couldn't get any more roles. She actually quit acting. Because this, this is her first and last. The talent scout guy that found her, she got married with him, and I think that they divorced within a year. Um, I mean, look, she's a dental assistant. She's getting swept up in this whole Hollywood you know, mystique, and she probably thinks she's going to get more work. And she's like, 
I don't really like you. Why am I with you in the first place? You know, just you got to ask yourself what these whirlwind romances, you know, how much of it is, you know, how much of the whole relationship with the with the talent scout guy was, you know, just swept up into the Hollywood mystique and how much of it was when after that, when she wasn't getting any roles for it, she just woke up and went, I'm not really getting anything out of this. Anyway, that that that, that I found that interesting. All right. So uh, as far as the other actors, we've got Arthur Hull as Montgomery. You know, he does a pretty good job in, in the in the role. I think it's uh, Stanley Fields as Captain Davies. Uh, he's the guy that gets kind of drunk or whatever and throws. Uh, he's kind of a, a jerk. He throws uh, Edward Parker off the boat at one point. Remember that guy? He actually has a weird, weird nose. Have you noticed that? It kind of looks like a broken nose. Maybe. He, he got he got in fights uh, earlier on and they, and they slightly broke his nose. And that's actually what got him a role in a movie before this. Um, is somebody saw and went, yeah, he looks like a tough, you know, he looks like somebody who's, who just, you know, and so that the thing about him having a broken nose really kind of helped him get some roles. Um, that's about all I can tell you about that. The other actors I don't know too much about. I do know that the guy who played uh, the character of Maling, he's, he's like a servant. Maling, uh, he's played by Tetsu Komai. And it does sound like a abbreviation of my darling, oh. but it's a male character, so I wouldn't say so. Right, and so uh, it's, it, it might be like a like a Polynesian or, or island name or something. Te- so Tetsu Komai is a Japanese actor, but he played... You know, some kind of side roles, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, because you're in, in, you're Asian, sometimes you get relegated to those kind of roles. He played in uh, some series, a couple movies in a series, uh, Dr. Fu Manchu. Dr. Fu Manchu is like like this uh, evil Asian scientist kind of stereotype, and it's actually very kind of racist, you know, stereotype. He was in some of those movies. Uh, he also, also unfortunately... You know, it was it was during during World War Two because the uh, Allied forces were fighting the Japanese, which were part of the Axis. Any Japanese actors that were working here in, in the United States, who of course were not working for the Axis you know, powers, they were thought to have been. You know, they were uh, suspected. Um, the same thing. You know, and so he was. Uh, him and his family were put into a camp. Um, and into the, these camps, uh, and, and it's, it's horrible just because of your race. Um, you know, this is something that, that is a, it's a blot and a stain on the history of, of the United States that we did this, um, in the Japanese internment camps. Um, there's also, uh, uh George Takei who plays Sulu, uh, when he was younger, um, and his family actually was in the Japanese internment camps and he talks about it often kind of uses that as a warning to you know that we need to watch out for you know for the uh nationalism and racism because it could creep up again and something like that happen and he goes i know what i'm talking about so in some ways it's a cautionary thing that we we need to look at history and go let's not do that again okay all right that was interesting i didn't know that about him uh you know he's just just a side character in this uh as he is in a lot of different things but ultimately, those are some interesting stories that I find uh, in these in these characters. And so, is that all of them? That that is all, except for one thing: the character of Alran, Al Alran. He is actually okay. He's not actually named as Alran, I think, but he, he maybe once in the script. But he's a he's a, basically he's one of the beastmen. Sauron, we, not Sauron, Alron, oh, Alron, Alron. Uh, he looks like a, I thought it was like a short for orangutan. 
maybe he was an orangutan originally uh, that got uplifted into human. But he's a beast man. He basically goes around wearing these pants and no shirt on. He's he's got like a he's pretty strong. Got big you know big muscular figure. Uh, he's played by uh, Hans Steinke, who is a German wrestler. Uh, he was known as the German Oak, I guess, because he was a big old guy, and you could couldn't knock him over. But uh, he plays Alran, and he's if anybody that watches this movie, you'll you'll recognize him because he's the one that sneaks up and spies on Ruth Thomas, played by Leia Hyams. He spies on her and tries to break in. And that's actually when you know, one of the characters shoots at him. Um, and then later on, he, he kind of uh, is an antagonist to a lot of other people. And, and uh, Loda uh, jumps on his back and kills him or something, I think. So that's that's pretty much all the people that I could that I could really remember. You know, anybody else we're getting into like little small, smaller roles. Uh, but really, honestly, the the standout acting role in this movie it's my firm opinion that 100% it's Charles Lawton. Anytime Charles Lawton as Dr. Moreau is on screen, he's just relishing every line. You can look at his eyes and you just you, you just you look at him working things out. Um, you can see his process as, as the actor's process in this character. And he just he, he rules every scene he's in. Um, he's he is the character. This is his island. Um, you know, he is the main antagonist for sure. Yeah. But the thing is. In watching this movie and knowing that it was banned for certain reasons, I it would not be banned today. It's not justified. A lot of the, quote, elements that are really horrifying are really not shown. Like, the code was extremely hardcore about a ton of topics and stuff that are just like, oh, maybe it might, something that we'd see as fine today would be completely not fine then. Yeah. It's just trying to distance from what it used to be, but it kind of needs a bit more of a middle ground, but not so much of a middle ground. A lot of that stuff was off off screen, too. There's a scene at the end where a lot of the Beastmen do what he's been doing to them, which is they, they, you know, they get, you know, knives and scissors and scalpels and stuff and cut him little bits off him little one by one you know that's what's happening and it doesn't show it and honestly i think that's what's more creepy to me um is that it 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 suggests things and that's a very uh later a a famous director named alfred hitchcock would do that he would a lot of the things that he would do he would suggest that something was going on and it and it wouldn't show it expressly but you knew it very often he said that suspense is that the audience knows there's a bomb underneath the table, but the, or the characters don't. That's what's scary, is because you know there's something hidden going on, and and, and it's not revealing it. And there's a lot of movies that I've seen that don't reveal expressly what's going on, and that, and that makes it even that much more creepy. So um, that's our final thoughts, and we will return back to you once we've found a boat to come our way to the shore with... A uh, couple corpses in it, maybe, but it'll do <laughs> to get us off this island okay. and onto. Ask me uh, after everything I say. Ask me what is the law. Go ahead, say it. What is the law, Jason Weatherford? The law is that we must go to break very soon and play some music that we play all the time. <laughs> Hello 
welcome back to the 12th episode of Cinematic Fantastic, where we are going to review a movie. We, in fact, got this plot from Dr. Moreau himself, and we're all like, well, you know, while we're at it, can we just, you know, join your gang, hang out and stuff? And he was like, sorry, you can't really. It's like, well, I didn't want to anyway. I'm not an animal person. Oh, oh, that's why we can't join his his gang, because we're not animal people. Yeah, exactly. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking with William earlier. I said, I said, yeah, we're about to do this, this movie. It's called Beast Wars, uh, except the beasts win. But uh, spoiler alert, nature always, always wins. You know, you try to screw with Mother Nature, and she mess with your back. So she try to mess with you. Yes, it, indeed. And another thing before we begin this podcast episode is that I don't think you mentioned this, but this did have a five-week production schedule, which is so far more than any of the other movies that we have covered had. So it's a very ambitious movie for those five weeks. They did a lot of stuff with them. What was the the common... Now, you're, you remember, remember facts a lot, right? It was like around three or four weeks for a lot of it, like three or four weeks. Oh, you, okay, so three, three, or four we, three or four weeks is common. Yeah, two, three, four. For, for many of the other movies we've watched? Yes, and you can, you can go back to see in our other episodes where we explained the week production cycle because, of course, we remembered it then, but we could obviously forget it now. I don't even remember it that well. Goodness the Dracula episode was so far away, man. We're already in episode 12, and that's like... Yeah, okay, as far as our plans are concerned, you know, maybe eight more episodes, and we'll close out the, the season, how, however that works out, and then we'll we'll take a little bit of a break from this, and, you know, we will see if we can't, you know, do some polishing as far as, you know, as far as the getting the content in front of more ears, or whatever you want to do. Just take our time with it, and maybe just... You know, watch things for fun for a little bit, and of course, your your attention and your um, dedication to this podcast will not go unnoticed. Um, we appreciate any uh, we've heard, we've heard some of some of our listeners and and how they feel about some of our episodes, and that that's that's fantastic. We love to hear back from people. That's one of the one of the one of the very few reasons why we do this. And while we're at it, even though we plug this at the end of our podcasts of every episode, uh, I'll give another. Uh, plug for our uh, our WordPress site. It's uh, so that's cinematicfanpodcast.wordpress.com. There's exclusive blog posts over there, and we do announce every episode that we do with um, summaries of them. We also put those in the descriptions, but as well. But yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Go hang around there. There's bound to be something that's exclusive there that you'd miss if you didn't. And it's also very handy because it'll have everything that we're going to do and more. So it's a very useful tool. I'd recommend using it. Also, we'll probably, you know, kind of tentatively plan out what our next season is going to be. We have a good idea. And we do have an episode planned list for every season as well on the blog posts in the WordPress. So you can check those over. And if there's a movie that you're excited for, you can wait for them, watch it. And be amazed. Yeah, yeah. The other thing too is that you can comment on any of these posts and let us know what you think. I mean, we like uh, we like uh, uh, engagement from our listeners. Uh, a lot of the engagement that I've gotten, I've gotten in person, 
you know, people telling us things. And that, that's wonderful. But if, if anybody is listening that um, that's not in the area to kind of visit us in person uh, just on a day-to-day basis, I mean, just, you know, reach out to us on the website. We, pre- we appreciate it. Um, and like I said, that's where a lot of our, you know, a lot of the, re- you know, the, the engagement we're going to get from you is, is directly from the, from the WordPress. So that's kind of our hub. I mean, you know, we have other stuff like a Twitter and a Facebook and and Gmail, and that's 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 fantastic. But really, the hub for everything is the WordPress site, and we see most of our uh, comments and things like that there. But so let's get into the plot. Let's get into this. Let's let's, uh, let's get lost in the jungle. So the, we already got lost in the jungle in our last episode, but I mean, uh, oh, uh, well, okay. Let's uh, take us into this. Uh, this magical... This sandy place. <laughs> I don't like sand. It gets, it gets everywhere. everywhere. You know. Okay, take us into this magical uh, mansion in the middle of a jungle, which I didn't see anybody build. I did, you know, And it looks really fantastic, to be honest. Take us into this uh, mansion made of plot. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just... I'm trying to make this work. <laughs> but... <laughs> The first thing I'd like to mention is that it does have a very creative intro where... At the beginning, there's, uh, as the cast list pops up, it's yeah. constantly being erased whenever it transitions by waves. So the waves are washing away the words and replacing them in the sand. And I know that's probably been done and being done um, as an intro because it's very tropical themed. But I love creative stuff like that. Like, I mean, look at the mummy. The mummy has a very creative intro with, like, the the model pyramids and like the spinning around kind of rotating, with the yeah. the mummy written on the pyramids that's I, I love that you can do very many creative stuff with your intros and this is kind of like this is a return to the the popular production companies like paramount and universal and stuff so that's amazing that they I can know, do that. i know that paramount was trying to make this their answer to the universal monster movies but to be honest I think that the flavor of it, it fits in very well. It does. Somebody could tell me that this was a universal, and I'd be like, yeah. I mean, they'd be lying. And I can see (laughs) the quality rays in this movie, as we will discuss further later. Yeah, absolutely. So we start the movie with uh, the classic person from... uh, A lot of this first part is going to be mostly like the book. Is um, We have the shipwreck traveler, Edward Parker... Which mm-hmm. again in the book his name is Edward Prendick, which like come on, stop changing surnames to Parker. Prendick is interesting. Like we've already seen someone's surname change to Parker. You know the yeah, Jane right. Parker, it, Jane it, Porter. It, we've had so many Parkers that it's just why? It's so generic. Prendick is original, it's interesting, and I I, I just wish they didn't Americanize it. <laughs> I'm wondering if in the 1996 uh, Island of Dr. Monroe, he actually is uh, Edward Prendick. I think they left it as is. I'd love it to be. Yeah, but I think they changed it for the 1977 version. So, But go ahead. So he's being brought from the sea. He's uh, just floating there on a sea, probably on a log or something. There's a guy, and he goes like, hey, there's a man overboard. Come investigate. Mr. Hogan, derelict afloat with a man on board. Whereabouts? Off your port bow. And they bring him, they put him on a bed, and, you know, they wake him up and stuff. And so he's like, Ruth, Ruth. (laughs) At first I didn't know what that was. 
I thought he was saying men because it's like, oh, is this a frame story? But no, right, it's not right. a frame story because we can't have interesting movies here. But <laughs> oh no, the la- the last frame story that we did was uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And there are very yeah. interesting things that you can do with the frame story. Stuff they like, are. you know, like a Titanic as well as a frame story. Wasn't the original original Frankenstein uh, a frame story? Yes. They find him in the Arctic, and he says, he, the, the uh, I think it's Dr., and it's not Dr. Wald, it's a, it's a guy named Waldman, but he's like a sailor guy, explorer, and he finds him and brings him aboard the, board the ship, and he tells the story about all that. And so then um Ed- Edward Parker, he's all of the places that have hair on his body are uncut, you know, he's unshaved, he's his hair's grown. I don't know if his armpits have grown or no, his chest hair. I don't he's, know. He's got the five day stubble, as I call it. But it looks <laughs> it looks kinda like fake stubble, like it's painted on. I'm sorry. But at least it's hot. <laughs> oh yeah, right. But but the ship is called the Covina that he's on, and the ship that he was on is called the Lady Vane. But in in the book, there is a much more complicated name for this uh, for this ship that they simplified down for easiness of saying. It's called the Ipakakuanha. Okay, wow. Yeah, and I mean I can say huma huma nuku nuku apua, but come on. <laughs> You're kind of right. scratching the Hawaiian there. That's the same fish that's in the aquarium in Jean-Luc Picard's office in Star Trek The Next Generation. That's why Ooh, I remember fact. the name. So, yeah. And that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a fact. Come next time on National Geographic for kids. Now what is it? Sonic says. <laughs> Sonic says that Sonic it's a humu humu nuka nuka poo in the aquarium in Jean-Luc Picard's <laughs> office. It's anyway. Like, Thanks, Sonic. Bye. Go find a ring. So he's like, I gotta send a letter to Ruth because I'm heading over to, um, I think it's Samoa. Uh, uh, Apia. It's Apia. Apia. Samoa's another place. And, um, the ship is fortunately headed for Apia as well, where he wants to go to Ruth. Isn't that lucky? That's That's so lucky. lucky. Also, uh, Ruth is her, uh, his fiance. As well, that that's not in the book, is it? I don't know if Ruth is in the book. I don't think so. He it, it's probably similar to the 1977 movie, and he basically just is shipwrecked onto the island, and that's where the story started. He he's no, not really. That's not what happens in the okay. book either. Okay. So then he, the guy who rescued him, um, he also, I think it's Montgomery actually. Montgomery rescued him, and he sends the message at uh, to the Continental Hotel. Which is at the shore of Apia. I don't think I don't think that's Montgomery because he said he said, "Are you a doctor?" And he said, "I used to be." And for, for for one second, I thought maybe this was somebody related to Moreau, but um, it's it's somebody else because I don't think Montgomery would allow would. Oh, it's it's the boat. It's the boat that Parker ends up being chucked onto is the one that isn't it? Isn't it the one that has animals on? Anyway, I'm going. I'm getting ahead of you. Go ahead. Uh, yes, it is. So. Ruth has seen uh, this list of people who are missing from the boat that Parker was last on, and right. he's included on this list as it zooms up upon it, and then it zooms up on the name even more and even highlights it for us because we're dumb, and we're just like Dora and we can't see anything. Where's the ma- <laughs> <laughs> Where's the tree? Where's Swiper? 
<laughs> they do that a lot in Tor- They do that a lot with, with old movies is they do highlight little things. And I, I got to admit, it's kind of old school. And if a movie did that now, I'd be like, that's cool because they're doing old school stuff. So I guess they think people are just Dora and they don't, they can't find anything oh, with their eyeballs. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. I mean... I happen to agree with that. I don't just hope we're not the boots of the conversation. We are. We we are boots in this in this case. Oh, you oh you mean because he's a monkey and and everybody's a beast man? <laughs> Look, if anything, if anything, you know, Edward Parker Parker is Dora and or Diego and, and <laughs> Edward Parker, <laughs> Parker, yeah, Parker, Sorry. Parker, Parker, the Explorer, right, <laughs> right, yeah, and, and then everybody else, all the other. People on this island that are beast people are swipers and boots and <laughs> and, and animals from Diego. And Diego, yeah. Yeah. The jaguar from Diego. So that was a big tangent, but that... That was fun. But that's why we're called Tangential Men, after all. <laughs> that's one of our nicknames that we nicknamed ourselves with, which, I don't know, that kind of defeats the purpose of a nickname when you name yourself that. But uh, that's okay. We have Madonna and Prince, and I'm sure so they... So sum up a lot of things. Um, <laughs> right. There's animals on the ship. They make noises. They observe them. Uh, meanwhile, Montgomery introduces Parker uh, to the drunk captain, who then explains that they're going to Dr. Murrow's island, and also who Dr. Murrow is. Because, yay! <laughs> yay, instead of being blind to this info and recognizing Dr. Murrow himself on the island, like in the book, instead he'll just give it to us in exposition. That won't ruin a previously non-cliché template. Right. <laughs> if you not, find not the book all. much interesting, this does simplify it a lot. That was my point earlier in the podcast, was yeah. that when you see things, you see the book, and then you compare it to this the the movie... I mean, the movie has does have to put it all into seventy minutes and like being third person as well. So we don't get uh, protagonists that actually get a chance to make their own observations and thoughts and <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and and a lot of times in in books you can hear their thoughts and hear them puzzle it out. And on on screen, if you don't have them narrate, you have to sit there and watch them puzzle it out with acting. And and honestly, and that is why we compare books to movies as well. Right now, they're not just animals and this drunk captain. There's a servant. Yeah, there's a couple animal people, including one uh, who is who is very faithful. You could almost say he he's he's our best friend. <laughs> he's a <laughs> his name is Maling, and who is serving all of the hounds that are in a special place on this boat. It's kind of like a raised platform. Because they're his his blood brothers, if you might think so. Because Bloodhounds, yes. I think Maling is a dog person. Not to, I don't know if that's if that's uh, really woke to call somebody else a dog person, but he's a dog person. I'm, I think that's nah. The... He's a person that likes dogs. <laughs> oh right, right, right. It's like that. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> an, an interaction goes down where he sees Maling and he's like, "Who are you?" And uh, Maling. Um, well, that's in the book, but in this one, he's delivering dog slop to the dogs, which I'd prefer that be just the pigs, but dogs get slop as well. Now, give them a, give them a bone, give them actual chicken, I mean, yeah, instead they get slop. So, he then accidentally spills this on the captain, who is also drunk, in, in this movie, as explained. So, then he punches Maling, and then for mistreating Maling, Parker 
punches the captain. Everybody's punching everybody at the beginning of this movie. They're just just punch just punch happy central. And then afterwards, he discovers that not afterwards, but shortly afterwards, he discovers that Maling has dog ears. So the, apparently, the servant dog feeder is a dog himself. I guess <laughs> something suspicious here. Dogs feeding dogs. It's a dog eat dog world. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's, or it's a dog feed dog world. <laughs> yes. So, in short, the captain then knocks out Parker, throws him overboard, and into M- Mr. Montgomery's boat, which is bound more for Moreau's island, with Moreau on it as well. And this differs from the book as well, but I'm probably going to explain the book uh, afterwards differences, because the book differs from here extremely for most yeah. sections. So I'll just keep continuing. Yeah, cool. So then Dr. Moreau yells at the captain for doing so, but it's too late. He's like, it's too late. He's already on your boat. I'm sailing away. Goodbye. Bye Bye now. <laughs> bye now. In a way, he's like, oh, I'm already gone. I'm gone. I'm still going. I'm going. I'm going. Going once, going twice, sold. But here's the thing. Boats are not as fast as you may think. Now they, But it's a tall boat, so you could probably, you probably wouldn't be able to get into the boat without assistance, though. Ugh. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a narrative conceit, okay? There, you know, okay. How do we get Edward Parker to the island? Doctor Moreau, Montgomery, Beast people, do it, and it just it's just like let's just make but it. But this happen. is a simplification of what happens in the book, though. Right, and I'll it's discuss a, this later. It's a plot device. It's just a plot device. Get him to the island um, as quickly as possible. Or I could discuss this a bit now, but yeah, go ahead. I mean, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, as long as we. So in this section, when they approach the island, which is uh, the destination for their going, in the book, the captain he demands Prendick leave the ship with Montgomery, and he's onto the island. But Montgomery explains he's like, I, I, I can't support this dude. I don't have anything to support this dude. No food, no supplies, no nothing. So despite this, the captain just dumps him in a dinghy and sails away, which is exactly what happens in this. That one sentence happens. And then seeing that the captain had abandoned him, um, Brendick, um, Montgomery then takes pity, rescues him, and then as ships rarely pass the island, um, houses him in the enclosed compound um, with Moreau. So it does differ a lot, except for that one sentence. That is, despite this, the captain left Prindick in a dinghy and sailed away, which is what happened. So now, quick question: Doesn't doesn't the the this scene kind of make you feel like okay, maybe Montgomery might feel pity or actually help uh, Edward? I'll say Edward instead of Parker or Prindick. But it's like later later on in the movie. You do sense some of that from Montgomery, but do you think if this scene was in the movie that would get an early I don't really taste know. of his his pity? I think it's it's simplification, but another role it could provide is that they're all marooned on the island kind of situation. It kind of yeah. brings sympathy to Moreau and you know hides his malevolent nature instead of it being like revealed on the spot. It does get revealed on the spot, but like not as soon as now basically. Right. So cut when they arrive on the island. I noticed this one particular man who's walking while swaling back and forth, which is an obviously apish move kind of thing, because he's like... Something's up. It's very very subtle. Like, if you don't know that these are beast men yet, if you don't even know the story, and you haven't heard the synopsis, and you go into this movie, 
you're like, that's really weird. And I mean, he does go it's and good. he observes these people and he goes, uh, huh, these people are kind of sus here. The kind of weird natives is the explanation, but... Right, he thinks they're natives to the island. And Dr. Moreau says they're natives, but they're not. They're not, because cause if, they're be- if they're beasts brought to the island and then mutated or evolved, they're not natives. But as I mentioned earlier in the production uh, uh, part of the or this episode, I talked about there was an, an aspect of the movie that I never thought about, which is you know, a a colonial, like a colonist, like a white European who is trying to bring the natives up to our civilized ways. And the fact that they they refer to them as natives is what really kind of makes it subconsciously stick in your head, I think, that there's that separation. Especially with the racism that comes with the word native. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And also the whole thing about, you know, I heard somebody say once, you know, about this movie, they said, when they say the words human... Just put the word white European in there and it makes it... <laughs> Caucasian zombie. You know, when you say those that phrase and you change it to hum, from human to white European, it's just kind of like, yeah, we're going to get these animalistic people to be like white European we're gonna put, people. We're going to put calcium-flavored paste, just white paint, and just paint them, whitewash them. Well, a lot of that, that's what happened to a lot of Native Americans here in America is is they were like, well, we don't want them you know, going around wearing this, you know, this deer skin stuff or not not wearing a shirt. And red paint and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you, you're not wearing a shirt? Uh, that's uncivilized, my, my dear boy. Let's put on this shirt. Let's, oh, oh your hair is but long. But if you're around Florida or a beach era, it, it is civilized. Yeah, it is civilized. It is civilized down in Florida. What because is everyone has their shirt off down on the beach. Everything's uncivilized down in Florida. Have you read, watched the news? <laughs> Florida man. Just look up uh, stories about Florida man, and you'll know what I'm talking about. All the stuff with Florida lately. Yeah, exactly. So back, so back to this. Um, when they arrive on the island, Moreau says he has something in mind for Parker. So then he welcomes him into Moreau's, uh, to his home, and... Uh, Moreau has to whip some eight men in the cave and in the jungle part as well because they're all investigative, but that's not a problem. They're just extremely nosy. That's all is. <laughs> right. Are, are, is it on their, on their way into the compound? Yes. There's, there's some, so that isn't suspect at all. It's like it really makes him seem like a slave master, but, you know, kind of that plantation slave master kind of thing because he's coming in. And Parker doesn't know that these aren't just regular people. They're a little strange, but they aren't just people that are on the island. So why do you get to whip them? So that right there, it creates this separation, uh, creates a the the punishment, enforcement of laws. You're already getting that like seconds in from how he treats these people. So also note that the he says that the dirt in this jungle is volcano rich. Well, my my question is this: uh, you know, um, is it do they mention that? That they are mostly eating vegetables here? Like yes, ve- they're all vegan here. Because the interesting thing is they... Because it's the law. Yeah, it's one of the laws. They tell the beast people said not to not to spill blood, not not to eat fish or vegetables. Or, or, or flesh, or, or, or vegetables. Or, or flesh, right. No, no. They're all ve- vegetarians. And, you know, ordinarily I'd be like, oh, that's pretty cool because I am too. But in a way I'm kind of like, I don't like why you are that um so anyway back back to this but you said uh, the the soil was volcano rich does that mean that the kind of the soil that that 
being near a volcano or part of that volcanic rock, is it real fertile? Did you look into into this at all or don't yes, know anything about it? Yes, when something is volcano rich like the rocks that come out there, all the minerals that would be in the rock to support life is then dumped into the dirt with the lava cooling and maybe just like dissolving into stuff. This is a topic I could explore definitely, but maybe there are other volcano uh, movies yeah. that we can cover. The trick the trick that we want to look into is really look at um just look into real world information we don't have to watch any movies about this we just look at at, at hawaii because hawaii is home to a lot of volcanoes both dormant and active and it'd be interesting to see if you know you if they could grow a lot of um you know they can grow a lot of uh fruits and plants and vegetables just using the the soil um, mixing in some of that volcanic element into the into the soil is actually good for it and also another side thought is that the the shots are in this movie, a bit more rapid overall than the movies we've been getting. So it's more engaging and interesting, kind of, but, like, you you, you can still dig the Dracula and Frankenstein slowness, definitely. But it's just, like, it's a trade-off kind of thing. Do you want engaging and action-y, or do you want thoughtful? There are some, there are some thoughtful moments in this movie, but I, I found that when I watched it, it really moved. It it was engaging, but it it moved. I mean, it was on to the next scene, and I was like, "What is going on?" You know, and and it was just it's just something was always happening. And overall, set design was just amazing on this movie. It was good. Five week production schedule. Wow, yeah. And there's there's that's like a month and a week. So uh, that's not very long with regard to movies. They do get very long, as we'll get, because, of course, they have to write the movie. Yeah. And they have to go through all the executive people, and then all the CGI needs to render stuff for stuff like the Marvels and stuff, where it's just, like, immense CGI and hiring, spending money for getting, like, mocap and stop motion, whatever you want to do. Just, it gets more complex as movies go on but yes, right it does. now they're so simple <laughs> it's not simple at all when you think about it but you could make a movie like this in five weeks because they did so <laughs> well a lot of the effects that they have in this movie are, are what were called in camera or like makeup yeah makeup and things that they filmed uh, because and you mentioned last i think in the did we mention the production part about the fog no oh that might be something to bring up when you get to it so um when it gets in the house um, Ed observes the ape men before dinner, and um, then to move on from that, he's just going, basically when I say observing, I'm just going, he's like going, huh, I think the ape men are kind of strange, very strange uh, natives you have here. Yeah, he does not know they're ape men, you know, and is is it one of the, is it one of the, is it that main guy who's played by the wrestler known as the German Oak? Alran, is that Alran yet, or Alran comes comes later? But Alran is later in the movie. So, um, then uh, after dinner, Moreau then introduces Parker to Lota. She's a young woman whom Moreau claims is of Polynesian origin, but really is his most evolved creation. So he's spent so much work on this that she's just like the most human out of all of them, and uh, she's also very shy and withdrawn as well. And gets more comfortable as we go. And of course, she is not. She is not in the book, but this kind of cat or panther woman is in every single one of the adaptations. I think, as we mentioned in the production, so because they need the romantic interests, because 
as as we've said, all the movies we've covered so far have stuck to concepts like such as the hot damsel romantic interest. And you know, I, I did mention heroes and villains, but I'm fine with those obviously. But of course, the romantic yeah. interest is the one I'm kind of glad has been dissolving or getting it's getting more variation. Which is a good okay, thing. Yeah. I'm glad for they, that. They're not going to dissolve them completely for quite a while, buddy. So <laughs> strap in. But uh, you know, they are going to get. You are going to get some variation. And when we see those variations, we're you know, I'm sure we're going to probably you know cock an eyebrow up and go, oh, like in the Mummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the first ones with um, what's her name? I don't even know. They're all they all congeal anyway. <laughs> Just like all these movies, they congeal. Yeah, yeah Helen yeah. Helen Grovner. Ah, Helen. Yeah. So then. Moro also uh, says that Loda is the sole female on the island, but obviously doesn't say that she was, you know, derived from Panther and about the law and the House of Pain. She says, don't talk about this. So, uh, I mean, saying especially that you're going to be left with the last woman on the island to chat is kind of creepy. Well, it's, it seems like, oh, just, you know, you guys can, you know, get to know one another, and that's that's lovely, and he... But and they know maybe 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 just move your lips kind of over to your mouth. Yeah, just do that. Yeah, just and do then, that. Yeah, <laughs> just whatever that's else crazy. happens happens. And then next is like, okay, you're gonna have three children. <laughs> okay, that's that's too far. Three point five children. Uh, you're gonna have a picket fence, a scratching post out in the back because you know they need to scratch on things and just be like a Lego city set or something. Right. A man has fallen into a river in Lego City. A man has fallen for a Whoa. man in Lego City. Yeah, he well he's he's gonna Moreau's gonna be like, you know, I'll I'll get you guys a wedding present, a giant ball of yarn. So um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. Or you know, and you know, and, and uh I I looked on your on your list of, of gifts that you wanted and I couldn't find the catnip, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, that the thing the thing about this is it's most of the creepy dialogue you get you get from Moreau uh, away from Parker. He's actually didn't he, didn't he talking to Montgomery kind of as well. I'm summing up the movie quite a bit. Yes, quite a bit. But it's that's, a sum up of a sum up. A sum up book. of a sum up. Right, exactly. So um, Moreau's then summoned to the lab because um, there are also some shrieks earlier that Parker noticed. He's like, "What is that?" And he's like, "Don't worry about it." And um. So then Moreau's summoned to the lab by a guy who's wearing, like, a mask and goggles surgeon person. And uh, they then talk Loda and Parker about some things, and she's, like, basically, uh, she doesn't want him to leave. So he's like, don't go, come back, please. And then Parker hears the screams again, is then concerned, and then asks Loda, what is that? And she breaks down and says the house of pain it's the house of pain and then parker then goes to investigate to see moreau and moreau's assistant montgomery that's not ominous at all right (laughs) operating on a humanoid without anesthetic at all so he's just screaming in pain while they're ripping at his innards aka vivisection yes it kind of does make sense that the jig is up this early because of course condensing into 70 minutes but I think the jig was up early anyway, so but they just didn't really deal with it, as is in the book and the movie, so I don't really know. You just know he's a villain anyway. Yeah, and, and the, the, the other thing is they're 
the scenes that that people the the censors I should say or Hayes Code people whoever they were that complained about these things it could have been just regular moviegoers um, that you know and put their fist up and said this is wrong sir they weren't as bad as I expected I was kind of like okay what's the big deal maybe it's my modern sensibilities that I'm bringing into it but I think the suggestion of the things that are done make it horrifying but but they're not they don't focus on the gore aspects of it like some movies would so that's why i'm kind of like yeah they're vivisecting and it's the idea of vivisecting and yes that's that's creepy and horrifying but it doesn't show it in extreme graphic detail and you understand that you kind of go with me on that yes where you then explain that morbius should have had civilets of blood coming out whenever they oh right why they don't need that just have wounds and you're just like here, like, well, they they didn't have wounds for some reason, but they could have. But you wanted rivets <laughs> of blood, so well, okay. Yeah, it's a movie about a va- okay. You're getting getting off on Morbius. Well, it's a movie about a vampire. It's about blood. You got to have some blood. I'm sorry. I know, but not like rivulets spraying no, out like just a little bit, like a red paint can, just uh, spray paint. But uh, no, the other thing I was talking about is with the vivisection thing. They can kind of hide what they're doing with their surgical equipment you know i'm talking about in camera you can hide that a little bit by how the the sheet is um is angled but you can see the creature you know moaning or crying in pain and the suggestion that something horrible is happening but you don't see it in graphic detail that's what i'm talking about yes so then parker's just like this guy is evil and sadistic he he grabs loda and leaves only to go into the jungle and find a colony of beast men. They're all like apes, cats, pigs, other beasts. Although I didn't, they didn't really look like anything other than there were some that looked like apes, and then others just had hair all over their face, like a trouble, tribble. Ostrich people, um, beaver humans. Nah, um... <laughs> I, I would have liked to see those more variation. the The makeup was limited. A porcupine dude would be nice. Iguana. A fl- oh, great. A bearded dragon that big? No, they would probably be the tiny people. Um, you know, because <laughs> you can't make them that big. I don't know. It, they Honestly, honestly, the way that they look in the movie, uh, if somebody told me that they were people that had animal parts added onto them, you know, then I'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But some of the aspects of it, you know, don't make a lot, you have to go with it and kind of, because in the book, he was just like, you know, taking human parts and introducing it into the animals. And this actually makes some sense. But again, they were doing what they had the ability to do with the technology they had and the special effects they had available to them. So to sum it up even more, we have Moreau then appears who he's looking for Parker again. He cracks his whip again on the floor and then also on a gong as well to get their attention. And he right. goes, what is the law? This is the famous scene um, yeah. where they recite the law and then they disperse into their houses yeah, that but they who, have. Who recites the law, though? Bella Lugosi. He's the sayer of the law. Yeah, blink, blink and you miss him. You have to like really focus on his eyes. And in the book, this is the exact same except for replacing do not lap water and do not climb trees and do not chase men. Is replaced by um, "Don't spill blood" and also that Moreau is God. They add that on, 
but otherwise it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So Dr. Moreau then tries, he goes, you know, Parker, I'm not a bad person, you know. I saw you vivisecting a man. My dear young fool, you're entirely mistaken. Well, you can't get away with it in my case, Moreau. He even gives him his gun. Take it. To say that I'm unarmed and undangerous. It's quite evident, isn't it, that I mean you no harm. And then he pulls him to his house and explains uh, his backstory, basically, of his scientific work. You know, he experimented in London 20 years ago. He's accelerating the evolution of plants until they're giant. There's a, just a casual, enormous asparagus as well. Just casual, enormous yeah. asparagus. Totally, I, rem- but- I remember that. I remember that. The, you know, we were talking about the vegetables and, how, you know, how you could, you know, how they could keep everybody fed on the vegetables in a volcanic soil area. He, I, I forgot about that. The, those giant plant items. Those, are, those were awesome. You have party for vegetable one. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so then he went on to animals trying to transform them into humans through plastic surgery, blood transfusions, gland extracts, okay, and also x-ray baths, or just ray baths in general. Um, so he's just sprouting them with radiation, hoping they'll turn into Hulk or something. So. Or Spider-Man. Or, or, or any number of Marvel Comics characters from the 60s. And he also says that he could do this because all animals are leading an evolution towards humans anyway. So he also says one day a dog hybrid escaped from the lab and it horrified people seeing it that he was just forced out of England and onto his islands. Lots of allusions to evolution in this movie. It's brought up a quite a lot because it was a shakeup craze kind of thing. There's also an, an element that's brought up. I don't know if, how much they went into it in this movie, but in 19, the 1977 version... Dr. Moreau, played by Burt Lancaster, uh, he's explaining to Edward uh, that he shows he shows him the, you know these embryos or fetuses in, in these little jars, and he says, uh, well, "What do you think all these are from?" He goes, "This one's from a dolphin. This one's from a this and a that, and this is a human." And he goes, "They're all virtually identical." You know, in the womb. That is an evolutionary thought that people have seen. That's actually incorrect. But it is incorrect, yes. What if whatever you want to believe? If you want to believe in Darwinian evolution, great. But this is just not something. Rather macroevolution. Thank you. Microevolution does work, but macroevolution is different. Yeah, micro happens right in front of your eyes. If you have children, like I do, you you see it. Right in front of your eyes, you see... An adaptation to the heat or cold, different species of, like, frogs or whatever. Yeah, I guess what I'm, I guess what, what I'm talking about is there's, a, there's something called, I think it's called phylogeny recapitulation or something. Uh, yeah, it, basically, it means that, uh, that humans go through all the stages of evolution in the womb from, from you know, embryo on up to human. And the thing is, though, it came from a guy, this is... A, a quick little science fact. This came from a guy named Ernst Haeckel, and Ernst Haeckel, uh, he drew these all these photos. Oh, I'm sorry, he drew all these drawings out. He drew he drew you know pictures of all the different you know embryos or fetus or whatever embryos of all the different species. And he goes, oh look how similar they are. But he drew them that way because if you, I've looked at photos, you actually look at photos of these different species in the same level of development, you know, and time frame of a human. Um, they're not the same. So, to be honest, if you want to look for proof of Darwinian evolution, go right ahead, people. But don't use 
you know, an element that's been completely discredited. I, but the thing is, though, that it, at the time these movies were made, it probably was like, oh, yeah, that's absolute proof. But if follow the Constitution, free speech. Right, exactly. Do, do what you like to do best. Consider it for yourself. Watch, watch these movies. Uh, read The Origin of Species, do whatever, but that's not the focus of our podcast right no, now. No, it's not. But the thing, the thing is about it, uh, as far as just watching it and you know the explanation they give, it's it sounds scientific and it sounds cool. And as long as it sounds vaguely scientific and, and cool and, and, and I can buy it uh, within the story, then okay. I guess it's just a little, you know thing that you know kind of head scratcher on my part but but it works in the movie so then Murrow also shows him this man that he has on the table looks more like Lugosi than Lugosi did so I'm like is that where Lugosi is this random screaming moaning man but uh anyway Murrow then moves his face side to side examining him as he's moaning and screaming and stuff and um Parker's just horrified I would be too and he also shows him a couple of failed experiments who are all the ape-man stuff. A lot of them are failed. They're operating a, it's like a treadmill wheel that's made yeah. out of wood that is operating the machines, kind of like a generator. Yeah, that do, that doesn't look sus at all. That looks That doesn't look anything like slavery, right, William? Yes, it is not slavery. It is lave. I lave you, father. <laughs> right. So he laved his people so much. Moreau then plans... <laughs> You're crazy. Moreau then plans and executes his plan that while Parker's asleep, to ensure that he can't leave, he destroys the only available boat and then blames it on the beast men with a wink to Montgomery. And, uh... Also, it seems sabotaging the boat was to see Loda express human love and emotion toward because he likes that they're romantically interested in each other. Well, instead of Fod directly for you. Right. And what do you think about, just real quick, give me a little thumbnail of what you think about uh, Charles Lawton's acting in this. He's pretty good. He, he's he's excellent. And he does this little thing. He, he always sounds like he's like he's saying something delicious. Like he's like he's saying... Well, something has happened to the boat. I don't understand what it could be. <laughs> He's a very smart, calculated man. Well, not calculated, but smart. He's just like, he's proud. He believes that what he's doing is is there's nothing wrong with it. He 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 believes in his cleverness. So why would he hand him a gun cuz you know, if you you know it's like, "Here, take this gun." Sure, bang. And I I, I would shoot him and run. But yeah. he's just like it's just kind of it's, it's kind of like he's going. I have nothing to hide here. He's like I don't care about court. Well, I, I he thinks he's doing the right thing, so he's like, you know what? If you're gonna kill me, kill me. So I don't think it's like he's a villain without being, you know, such a villain that he goes, I'm gonna hold on to this gun. It's kind of like he believes in what he's doing, and he's like, if I just show you, and you'll understand. He really drinks his own Kool Aid. He really believes know. this. Will you show me? <laughs> oh no. Something, something like me. Anyway, meanwhile, we have Ruth's um, B plot. She got the telegram. She, uh, the early, early yeah, on in the movie, she got the telegram, she, and then yeah. she's basically going. She persuades a Captain Donahue through legal matters to take her to Moreau's island, and then they do that. Um, so then Parker is loving Loda even more, spending time telling her about his book about like transistors and whatever 
And she's also like, the book take you away? He's like, yes. Because he's like, he means imagination, but then she doesn't want him to go away, so she throws the book in the water. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit ch- very childlike in the way that she thinks. And then he kisses her, and then he has guilt in his action. He should. He should. He's going to get married. He's fallen for a jungle girl, man. Now that I think about that, we've there's been tons of fiancés in our stories, and I'm just like, well... <laughs> You're excuse, excusing his actions or what? Uh, not really. So then he storms <laughs> into the office of Dr. Moreau. Right. Because he saw that as Loda hugged him, um, he examines her fingernails and sees that they're long, kind of like animal claws. And then he storms into the office of Dr. Moreau, confronts him for hiding the truth about Loda, and a shot design where he stares at the screen while he's explaining himself is terrifying he's just like staring straight at the screen he's like so you know about my plans <laughs> it's just good goodness you, that's why you should watch this movie it's terrifying well it, it, it well the thing is when he's staring straight at you in a way he's it brings the viewer into the story like and it just burns into your soul yeah he's looking right at you and he's saying these things speaking of burning <laughs> he explains that lotus is most dearly Near, nearly human creation, and wants to see if she's capable of falling in love and bearing children. Wow. Dr. Moreau's just a father figure for Loda a lot of times. So. It's a false father figure because he created her with surgery. It, it, that is not fatherhood at all. Yes, yeah, so Parker, enraged by the deceit, he then punches Moreau and demands to leave the island. And um, Moreau is also sad at Loda because of his failure to keep Loda human forever. But however, her crying at punishment or at Moreau being sad shows that there's still hope. So that he screams he'll burn the remaining animal out of her. That That is horrifying. In the house of pain. Yes. So meanwhile, Ruth and Captain Donahue arrive by boat to the island and they travel through the jungle... Um, to the Moreau's house, the gate. And, uh, he also, the apes then see them and make a weird, like, noise. It's like, <laughs> I'll, we'll play here as well, but. <laughs> Apparently, he basically explains, you know, it's a parrot. There's a special kind of parrot that laughs kind of like that. And, you know, there's a bird in these jungles, kind of a Parrot laughs like a man. They call him a laughing jack. <laughs> Funny name for a bird. Birds are men. Is your explanation, Captain? Right. Apparently? It's. I think it's. I think he's trying to. You know, like, oh, it's the wind. You know, when someone says, "Ooh, that you know, that freaky noise is not a ghost. It's the wind." I think he's just. He's trying to excuse it. Uh, you know, and and but he he really doesn't know what it is, and he's just trying to make himself feel better. Basically, the natives they have a ceremony while everyone reunites for dinner. And um, by being convinced, Moreau convinced them to come to dinner. The natives then start having a ceremony. And they're like, what is that? Oh, the natives are just having a ceremony. It's completely normal. Right, Edward Parker? Right. The natives, they have a curious ceremony. As they then head to bed, they also notice a jar of reptiles as well by the beds. That's just weird. Why do you have reptile jars in the hallway, man? So then Uran who then is introduced for this one kind of scene only, 
He's one of Moreau's creations. He then first spooks Ruth at the dinner. And then she goes like, huh. And then they ask what she's scared of. It's like, no, don't pay attention to me. When they then go to bed, he then spooks Ruth again by trying to break into her room. And she wakes up, she screams, help. And then Uran goes away. Like, I know, so Ruth literally just arrived to the island of Dr. Moreau only to be the person who screams, really? Alright, so Montgomery then confronts Moreau, thinking that the Oron's attempted break-in was Moreau's fault, or that he was commanded to, and then, meanwhile, Donahue then offers to reach the ship, fetch his crew, to get them out of the island. Moreau, seeing them depart, then dispatches Oron to strangle Donahue. So instead of purposeful disobedience, as we'll cover in the book, um, Moreau is so evil, he'd command directly to break the law. But then, as the beasts then discover, since the law was broken, maybe it didn't actually exist in the first place, <laughs> I guess? Well, yeah, well, and like I talked about, I think I talked about earlier, is, is when you have a god figure who creates the laws of morality for you, and you go, oh, so to kill is wrong, and then when you see God kill, you're like, well, I guess it's not, if you, if God does it, it's okay, in their in their way of thinking. So, you know, they, they see that the God they've placed on this pedestal that, oh, definitely follows all the law that he gives us, and then he doesn't follow it, you're kind of like, uh, I guess then the law is useless and doesn't exist. So then they then mutiny. Oh, mutiny. That's the word I'm thinking of when of this moment. They have mutiny against Moreau. They set their huts ablaze so they're on fire to fire the whole island. One of them even sets his hair on fire accidentally, which I think is funny. That, I think that might be a goof. But it's still funny. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's just like, oh, oh, no. Also, don't the huts represent civilization? Because animals sleep out in the forest underneath the you know the moon. And then here you have the huts, which are a symbol of, no, this is where humans live. And they're like, nah, screw this mess. We're burning these things. It's kind of the, it's one of their last vestiges of humanity, other than maybe wearing pants, that they have they have thrown off. They're like, everything that's civilized, they're like, chuck it. You know, so houses, oh, that's civilized, burn them. Moreau, they then carry him off to eventually, yes, they brutally then destroy him, Ademdum Mortis with his own surgical knives, and then they're all chanting, when he says, what is the law, they chant, law no more. And they also have one moment where they where they then go, There's, it's just a random moment where they're like, but they go, like me, like me. Like me, while they all step forward. It's creative at best, and probably to get a better look at Lugosi, because he doesn't get a good look in this movie. Well, they also said, uh, they also say, um, oh, you made us things. You made us, they keep saying, you you made made us us things. things. Like me, like me, like me. Yeah, so they're like, we're we're not not men, we're things. Moreau is dead. Um, Loda also dies. As well, she attacked Alran. She she jumped on his back and 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 they wrestle each other to death. Fortunately, but she but she dies. Yes, they all escape as the island goes to fire. Very violent end. Also, sudden music at the end as well. It's the same track that played at the beginning, but it resolves instead of 
you know, like fading away. Yeah. So the also, end. the last line is Montgomery's, isn't it? He says, "Don't look, look back. back." If you think about it, maybe maybe there's extra meaning in that phrase, "Don't look back," because looking back is looking back along your evolutionary line, like back to animals. Ah, like let's go forward as humans. Let's not look back to the beast in our past. That's an interesting observation. So. You want to discuss some of the differences from the book that it just entirely goes different, or do you think we don't have enough time? No, absolutely. Go ahead. I think it'll. We we definitely have a little bit of time to talk about the differences between the book and just this adaptation specifically. Basically, from when they get on the island, Moreau is working on a puma to turn a puma into a human. This is a plot point, and um, then they do flee into the jungle like. Uh, because of seeing the um, vivisection, and just like the book, like the movie. He also observes a group of pig people walking through the jungle as well, and um, as he turns back away from the pig people, he then realizes that there's a figure in the jungle who then chases Prendick, and then while he's bearing down on him, Prendick manages to stun him with a stone, and he also observes that he's a beast man. So when Prendick comes back, he questions Montgomery what on earth is happening. So then Prendick doesn't get an explanation, so he just then drugs himself. Probably either thinking he's mad or just because he can't go to sleep with it on his mind. But it does stay on his mind when he wakes up the next morning. He then walks into the operating room because it was left unlocked. He finds the humanoid on the table before Moreau then sees that he goes and he's like, no, get away, get away, I'm sh-. he's like all shocked and angry. And then Prendick thinks he's next. He's just fodder for him. So then he flees back into the jungle, who, of course, he meets the colony, the sayer of the blah, blah. And then Moreau comes looking for Prendick, but then Prendick escapes to the jungle, and then he tries to drown himself in the ocean before he's captured. Okay, and then Moreau also does explain a couple of things and his backstory and stuff. And he also, while of the other points that he gave, he also says that pain is an animalistic instinct that one who's truly human can't have. He even, like, stabs his thigh with a penknife and rips it open with, like, no reaction to therefore prove his point, because he's like, wow. I'm truly human, I don't feel pain. That's uh, kind of more like a villainy thing, but... That's also, that's insane, because humans feel pain, and animals feel pain. It's part of being a living being, to have a, a freaking nervous system. That, that that just shows right there that he's like, I'm not crazy, and he stabs himself with a leg. Or he has modern leprosy. Okay, this reminds me, uh, this is probably a movie we'll never do, but there's a movie with uh, with Will Ferrell in it. He plays a, ta- a Talladega race car driver, and he I can't remember what it is. That uh, basically he is thinking that he's in a wheelchair that he can't walk, and it's it's a mental thing. And he goes, "No, my I'm completely paralyzed. Watch, see." And he goes and grabs a knife. They're like, "No, Bobby, Bobby, Ricky, Ricky, Bobby, don't do it." And he stabs himself in the leg. He goes, "See, I can't fit." <gasps> He starts screaming, and I it's kept like an thinking, SNL thing. It's he is from SNL, but this is it's not a, it's it's a movie, a whole movie. It's but a he's comedy. Sta- but... It's a, yeah, he stabs himself in the leg with a knife, and they're like, "Ricky Bobby, you you really aren't paralyzed. It's all in your mind. You've you're just gone crazy." 
And and he stabs himself and is I see I can't feel this at all. See? Boop and he screams. And I'm like, okay, that's insanity. I mean if you didn't think Dr. Moreau was a nut by now you really do. If he's stabbing himself going, I don't feel anything. And you're like, okay. Well, now he's paralyzed now. Right, exactly. So then in the book, they also have a whole arc that they cut out for time in the movie. It's the whole leopard man arc where to cut stories short, there's a couple of rabbits that are half eaten. This isn't the law, obviously. So then... They identify that it's the Leopard Man, who was the one who chased Brendick earlier. Um, the Leopard Man then flees because they think he's going to be punished by vivisection. So then they corner him, but Prendick takes pity and shoots him to spare him. And uh, he also believes that while the Leopard Man did break every single law, he wasn't the only rabbit killer, uh, is his other thought, is that it was also the hyena pig, the second dangers as well. Um, this is the later part of the movie. Or the book. Bu- or the book. Or the book. Right. The final encounter, the half-finished Puma woman then rips free of her, um, table, and she escapes into the jungle. Upon Mora pursuits, and they basically kill each other, Montgomery then is just like, he's dead, so then he gives them all booze, the, the entire colony, that, that wouldn't be the first thing I'd do, but, right. okay. Um... <laughs> Prendick then resolves to leave the island, but then he hears outside a commotion where Montgomery Maling, the Sayer, they all die after a scuffle with the Beastmen, <laughs> conveniently. And then, at the same time, the compound burns down because Prendick knocked over a lamp. That's also kind of convenient as well. So then, Prendick has no supplies because it's all burnt, and Montgomery also got rid of the boats conveniently <laughs> uh, i would i would have changed that too but from the summary it does seem very extremely convenient wow so then prendick then lives with the beastmen on the island for months and then the beastmen they turn slowly back into animals they devolve and then eventually the hyena pig kills prendick's faithful companion that he had met which is a he's a dog man he's like a saint bernard and uh, Prendick and the Sloth Man take him down, uh, the hyena pig. I, I don't know. There's so many. There's so many characters that they meet as the new Beastmen. So there's probably they talked more in the book. So that's interesting. I would have loved to see more characters such as that, like a Sloth Man. Prendick is hanging out with uh, with Doctor Octopus and the Scorpion and Vulture, <laughs> right? I yeah. So then Prendick <laughs> tries to build a raft. With the Beastmen's assistance, luckily for him, and another convenience, uh, a lifeboat with two corpses drifts to him, which is perhaps from that first boat. So convenient. The the to the captain and the other person just drift to him, and then he uses it, leaves the island, and is picked up three days later. And then when he tells his story, he's of course thought mad. So then he goes. And feigns amnesia. So he's like, you know what? I who are you? Who am I? But so he just he just gets out of the situation. Wow. There there are some elements in the in the book though that I that I noticed that do end up in the 1996 uh, version. Um, and and the things that in the book that are a lot more overt and gory, or at least you know mentioned. 
they do happen in the 1996 thing. But the so, last thing in the book happens is that Prendick shuns humanity because he sees that they're all going to probably revert into an animal state, which is very philosophical. So then he goes into the countryside to do scientific studies, and he lives all his days there with the story on his mind. So that's how the book ends, and that's how our podcast will then end about now. Our podcast is going to have us be talking, and then toward the end of the podcast, we're going to start start turning into animal noises and whines and barks until nothing. <laughs> No, no, of course not. Um, so, yeah, we've got other other movies coming up. The next one is The Most Dangerous Game. I'm excited for this one because it's very influential, and also I read this one in a book, so it's going to be fun. I might read that again for the podcast, but that'll be cool. And this movie really, do- this movie really does move, and it's very, uh, very atmospheric. And there's one uh, element that you might like. And that this movie coming up was filmed on the same sets as King Kong. Do you remember? Do you remember in uh, when Dracula was not being filmed, like I guess at night or whatever? And that's when the Spanish, the Spanish uh, uh, version of Dracula came in. Yeah, and filmed this. The same thing happened with this, except that they filmed a whole other movie. You know, on the same because hey, you know, and and the movie has a couple actors that are in King Kong in this. So that's a connection. There's a lot of interesting factoids about it, but really it's just it's just a fun, cool action movie. But for now, yeah. I'll see you next time. I'll and see you next time. I get it, I'll. Yes, because it's an island. I got it. I'm with you on that. Okay. So I'll See you again. Yeah, and and remember, don't you know what? Be excellent to each other. Don't be beastly to each other. Come on, we have higher, higher purposes. And, and remember, hi- cinematicfanpod.wordpress.com. Yes. Goodbye, guys. Don't forget to open your third eye and telepathically message us at cinefanpod at gmail.com. Set your chronoscope dial to the future setting and peruse cinematicfanpodcast.wordpress.com. Hunker over your ham radio as your keen ears listen for the ghostly voices tweeting on our Twitter at CinematicFanta1. Exchange all of your money into Republic credits and donate at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cinefanpodcast. Ending transmission now.